The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Melissa Lee, and today for Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of the tech trade as bond yields retreat and investors digest the latest batch of mega cap earnings. Our investment committee is standing by to break it all down for you today. Joining us for the hour, Shannon Sakosha, Jim Labenthal, Brenda Vingello, and Steve Weiss. We kick things off with our chart of the day. Amazon just amazes. The stock having its best day of the year and blowout results. Sales growing double digits as the company posts its biggest profit beat since 20. 20. It is up 11% today. Steve Weiss, you're in this one. What are you inclined to do now? You can never own enough of the good ones, uh, or sometimes you can't own any of the good ones, right, Jim? But I'm not adding at this point. Uh, I'm happy with what I have. The stock's never attractively valued, so it's less attractively valued at this point. What um, about the report in your view? I thought it was good. I mean, look, my concern was What's happening with cloud? Uh, I got some good news from Google with cloud, got some decent news from Microsoft on cloud. So that took out the major risk. Less concerned about the retail business because that can always be explained away. But the bar was set pretty low across the board for Amazon. A lot of doubters. Uh, The stock's still far off its highs. So I wasn't really worried. I thought the setup was pretty good. But You know, when you look at some of these names, you know, it's such a binary event that day. They don't act like they used to with one or two percent moves. I mean, they're having moves like this, which are ridiculous. Especially, I mean, when you compare it to the low volatility in the markets overall, to see these sort of outside moves, you know, it's sort of surprising. But even the retail business was a bright spot here for Amazon, which was a surprise. Operational efficiency, they did see the consumers start to trade down. But overall, Brenda, I mean, this is really good news here. Yeah, I think especially on the operating margin side and the U.S. retail business, the operating margin came in three times better than what some expectations were. So really strong results. And I think that's what many investors in Amazon have been waiting for for a long time. And here we are. We always knew there was a, a, you know better earnings potential overall, given the investments they've been making over the last many years. And it was really nice to see some of that flowing through this time around. So Steve made a point to uh, say that you do not own this. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, the winner on the day, Jim I, Leventhal. I, I told you I was going to try to be good today. Um, but, I mean, at this point, does this look even better? Does the Amazon story look even better today than it did yesterday? Well, by definition of having beaten, yes, it does. Um, that said, you know, when you look at something like Amazon Web Services, the highest margin uh, part of their business, and you look at that growth rate, yeah, it's 12%. That's great. Um, you know, this isn't the growth rate that we were seeing three, four years ago. Um, this is a, a company that has a large valuation to it. So I'm not inclined to chase this right here. I'm happy for my friend Steve that he's finally investing in the market. It's been, you know, a long time coming. I told you I'd be good today. I'm trying. I really am. Um, but look, I, I also, uh, Mel, I have to say that, and I've been saying this for a couple of weeks, that this is a market that's kind of getting ahead of itself. Uh-huh. These are the uh, almost the dog days of summer, uh, light liquidity. You can get an outsized response to something like this. Um, I'm happy that I've raised a little cash over the next two weeks, uh, but I would not use it to chase something like Amazon on a day like today. Right. We mentioned this big stock pop. I mean, a surprise, but especially given that rates are still fairly high. We've retreated on the 10-year yield, Shannon, but we're still above 4%, firmly above 4% at this point. And a high multiple stock like Amazon still has the legs to go double-digit percent higher in one single session. It's amazing, Melissa. I mean, if you look at the correlation between moves in the in the 10-year, for instance, and last year with uh, stock prices, uh, particularly for growth stocks, you know, you're seeing this disconnect um, that we that obviously we didn't experience last year. And I think people should be surprised if you think about just the gains that we've seen in Amazon year to date good earnings report, but you compound that over what we've seen in the rate environment over the last four days, um, it's shocking to me that we're seeing such an upside uh, move for Amazon and, and, frankly, not more of a downside move for Apple. I, I would have anticipated, just given all of the shifting dynamics of what's happening in the yield curve, when you think about what's happening with the Bank of Japan, all of the different factors that are going to uh, change the rate environment for us over the course of the next six months, and you're not seeing that being reflected in these stocks that have experienced so much multiple expansion already, um, I'm, I'm very surprised at, at the sharp move this, this morning and, and into the middle of the day. I mean, this time around, in terms of the yield environment, it is a little bit different because it's not just the Fed raising rates. Now we have the Bank of Japan, you know, basically stepping away from yield curve control. We know the Treasury is going to have outsized issuance, particularly on the long end, Steve. Are you concerned that higher yields will ultimately catch up with your Amazon trade? Is that a fact? I mean, when do you start factoring that in? Because there are other issues here at play, not just the Fed raising. Right. Well, there's been a tremendous disconnect between what's happened with the yield curve, Mm -hmm. right? which is inverted, and what's happened with, uh, with the rates overall over the last year and a half. It hasn't gotten in the way. So when you're talking about companies like Amazon that have no problem funding thing and, and you know, throw off cash, uh, I'm not really concerned. I do continue to have concerns in the overall market. Uh, I have put more capital to work at prices where you get dislocation in the market. Uh, but, you know, the economy, as we saw with the spending, with retail, with Amazon, uh, it's sort of brushing it off, and we're going for a soft landing. I don't see rates coming down within a year. So the question is, is the bite on the economy just put off for a little while longer? Mm-hmm. You know, you're seeing credit card balances go up. So it could be an issue. But overall, for big cap tech, I just don't see it as an issue at all. I don't think it ever should be because they have so much cash in the balance sheet. They can fund so so easily 
It just shouldn't matter. I, smaller I, cap, smaller cap uh -huh. tech or tech that's not profitable, right. there is an issue with them, of course. More reliance on the capital markets for exactly. funding. Um, I, I, you know, the argument works clearly in my head for a meta or for an, al for a, yeah. an alphabet with a much lower P.E. than an Amazon, Brenda. But when you get to Amazon's P.E. heights, mm -hmm. don't yields factor in for you or no? Are you in I don't Steve's think camp? so. I, I'm in Steve's camp on this one, mm. but I do think it's looking at Amazon's ultimate earnings potential and just the fact that earnings have been effectively suppressed by all the reinvestment that the company has done in the business. And that's not over, uh, but it's, it's, it's going to be less so going forward, especially on the retail side, given the amount of investing that's happened. Let, so let, I, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. So I don't think that Am I wouldn't throw Amazon into the camp of being one that's going to be, you know, um, significantly impacted by the move in rates. But I will say this whole group was significantly impacted by the move in rates last year. Right. And so we've kind of, as we've come closer to the end of the interest rate hiking cycle, which I think is near, uh, we've seen this rebound in anticipation of that. The other thing I was going to say is that Jassy, you know, Bezos phenomenal, right? Visionary built this company. Mm -hmm. But Jassy's now taking a look at it. And we talked about efficiency with Meta. Efficiency is really taking place here, right? He's taking a hatchet to it. He's very conscious of the cost. He's very conscious of the strategic disbursement of capital to various divisions, right? They're rationalizing some of the businesses. They're growing others. So he is the person to do this. And he sets expectations low. If you listen to every interview he gave since last quarter, you would have said, oh, they're really going to miss. Right. So he knows how to manage the street. He knows how to manage the businesses. So I think keep going. But I'm not buying here. It's expensive. I had to hold my nose when I bought it the first time, even much lower uh, on this rate thing. Yeah. I think this is important. Um, why are rates going higher? I mean, it could be because inflation is not coming down. I don't think that's what it is at all. I think this is just the long end of the curve catching up with the fact that this economy is a lot stronger than anybody has given credit for for a long time. Um, that's, a, that's a situation that's being reflected in Amazon, in what you guys are saying about the retail sales. It's being reflected there. So I don't think that Amazon or even Meta or these tech uh, stocks are, are where the issue is as rates continue to go higher. The reason that I've stepped back a little bit, and it's just a little bit, I'm not making a hero's bet here, but the reason I've done that is because as the tenure continues to go higher, I think you will find pressure in the regional banking system. Um, you know, we've seen exactly how that mechanism works. We saw that four months ago. It is likely to continue and happen again as the tenure continues to march higher, which what if we get an unsteepening of the yield curve or a re-steepening just because the tenure continues to go up on economic growth? That's what I think we've got to watch out for. It's not really the, the worry about Amazon on Meta, Apple, et cetera. So it's another shoe to drop. That's the fear in your mind. That is. Higher rates. That is. But, but also, look, I just want to put this in perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm 90% invested. Having 10% cash is just a way of being nimble around the edges. I don't think that the economy is going to fall down a hole. I don't think that there's something systemic in the regional banking system that's going to spread to the rest of the banking system. I just think there will be some moments ahead where the market, let me put it to this way, mm -hmm. um, late August or mid-August after a rally like we've had is generally speaking, in my experience, Experience, not a good time to buy. Brenda. 
Yeah, I agree with much of what Jim just said, but I think when we look at what's happening with the broader economy, things are really healthy. But the one area that I think we could start to see uh, some weakness is with small and medium-sized businesses and their access to credit, which is not as available anymore through the traditional banking system. And so a lot of them are looking to private, uh, to private lenders where rates are much higher. Um, and so I just look at that and I think it's probably not sustainable uh, for a lot of those, those smaller businesses. And if rates stay higher for longer, uh, that's going to hurt. But Wall Street firms are now saying no landing. Now they're all on the other side of the boat all of a sudden, Shannon. I mean, we went from January where everybody was thinking that there would be some sort of recession sometime this year. Never happened, never happened, never happened. And boom, we get Bank of America saying soft landing, no recession. The Fed's own economist saying no recession. They're not forecasting that anymore. Um, how, I mean, how does that factor in? Because this is a real change in consensus thinking. It also goes along with consensus switching from we are in for some sort of a sell-off to, you know what, we're going to join the bandwagon and start raising our price targets for the S&P 500 going into year-end. Right, raising price targets going into year-end. Let's think about the Fed's own phrase, long and variable lags. If we don't have a recession, then what is going to happen that is going to catalyze the Fed to cut rates? So what you also saw in the Bank of America note is you saw them pushing out the timeline for rate cuts. And I think the one thing that we have really talked about in terms of a soft landing is that you get a mild recession, which creates a foundation and cover for the Fed to start cutting rates. We don't get a recession, Melissa. We're not going to see rate cuts until at least late 2024. Is that factored in in terms of the multiples that we're seeing in the market today? Also, what does that mean for more value cyclical sectors, which have underperformed in the first half of this year? Um, we'll talk about energy, I'm sure. Uh, but what does that mean? Should there be a, a re-emphasis, if you will, on some of these stocks that benefit from a secular tailwind, from a no recession environment? And should there be another lens cast upon those that are trading at high, high multiples because we're not going to see those rate cuts as, much as, we, as, as soon as we thought we were going to? I love what you just said, Shannon. I think you're pulling your punch. I'm going to say what I want to say. Maybe you want to say it. Melissa, give me a little rope to hang myself here, okay? When we talk I'll, about... I'll give you a lot of rope if you'll uh, do that. I'm sure you'd love that. <laughs> uh, look, when, when you talk about the analyst community, I, I mean, it's like watch, watching a, a pack of dogs at a dog park running from one side of the park to the other, and I can't stand it. I did a little diatribe a couple of days ago with Frank Holland. Sorry, now you're here. You get this. You know, the beginning of this year, all of them were predicting a recession. Yeah. I mean, there were people coming on the show saying 100% probability in their model of a recession. I got to tell you, anybody that comes to me and predicts the future with 100% certainty gets tossed out the door. I have no time for that whatsoever. In February, we got all that data coming in a list that was fabulous. What, 500,000 jobs created in the month of January? Everybody goes no landing, right? So everybody's going this way. Then all the analysts go this way. Then you had Silicon Valley Bank. They go this way. We're going to have a recession. The sluice and, and credit contraction. We're definitely 
possibly having a recession. Now, since the since the May labor report in the last two months of, of good data, they're back on the no landing uh, yeah. track. It's like it's I don't want to follow dogs rushing from one side of the park to the other. Make your analysis. In my analysis, this has been a much stronger economy than anybody has given credit for. And, and stick with your analysis until the facts change. The facts have not changed in the whole time that I've said that. This is a strong economy that will withstand not only high rates, but higher rates for longer. Let's move to Apple, um, because we have Amazon on one hand, and then you have Apple on the other hand, which is moving lower after its latest report. You own this one, Jim. What is, what is the tail of the market? Is it more Amazon or is it more Apple? Um, well, it's a good question, and I, 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 it's not determinant, because one thing that I don't think many people saw going into today is that there would be a bifurcation. I mean, I don't know many people who've been calling for the fang to sort of disintegrate, one go one way, another go the other way, but you are seeing that you can have the biggest market cap company in the world go down, and the market goes up, and that's really important. For everybody who says that Apple has to lead this thing, categorically, it's not true. It's, it's jobs. That, that's what's determining the market today. It was the payroll Dogs report. Yeah. You had a Goldilocks report. That's what mattered. Apple didn't matter. Nobody really expected them to blow it out. This is not the quarter that they blow it out. Apple is, if, if it weren't Apple and had the same fundamentals, the stock would be trading at a 15 multiple, not a 30 multiple. It would have been down so 20% exists, today, not down a couple Apple percent. The premium Apple exists because of what? Because a couple things. Uh, it exists because it's a cash cow. Okay. It exists because it's very active in buying back its stock, almost $20 billion. Mm -hmm. It exists because it's a global brand, and it exists because it's the market stock. That's why it exists. On days like today, it'll diverge from the market when you get economic news, but otherwise, for those reasons. So it's, sol it's just solid. It's just not the record high installed base, right. growth in services, revenue. The yeah. mix shift is going to improve and in the third quarter. it's fairly predictable. They're going into, a, into an upgrade cycle with the 15 and new, new products yeah, we've with seen the watch. That. The, 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 those are old news, right? You China's don't get a bright spot. It'd be by almost $2 billion in revenue. China could be a bright spot. It could be a negative spot. India is the brighter spot right now for Apple. So, yeah, it's just that. And, you know, you wouldn't buy. I'm telling you, if the name, all the fundamentals were the same. But if it weren't Apple as part of the consciousness of the investors and particularly mm -hmm. retail, it wouldn't be where it is. Just no chance. I agree with him, which is a rare, rare occasion. You wow. left one wait, thing wait, out. Wait, Mark the calendar. Yeah, no, August but he's, 4th, 12-16, yeah. Yeah. Eastern really, time. It's, it's in the summer and you know, maybe right. not, not that many the people The revenues and earnings have been punked for a couple of years. So let's go, let's go on that for a second. It's got a 30 times multiple, and the analyst community sees long-term growth rate and earnings mm -hmm. per share of 9.9%. Um, and that's not dissuaded by the report last night. So you've got a peg ratio of 3.0. That doesn't mean this is a terrible stock. In fact, one of the things you left out is it's weighting in indexes, indices so that any passive investor is automatically buying shares. That's promoting it as well. But, you know, what if, I've been saying this for some time, what if Apple just goes up at or slightly below the market rate? What if it goes up 7 8% a year for the next three, five years? People are going to be disappointed in that. But what they should be doing right now is preparing for that, recognizing you don't get 30% per annum returns like you have an Apple for 10 years. You don't see that continuing. you got to look elsewhere outside of tech for better returns. Would you rather? I feel like this is a 5 o'clock thing. <laughs> it sort of is. It sort of is. But at this point, Brenda, if you had fresh money right now, mm -hmm. which one would you choose? Would you choose Apple, which would be on, set, on, on track for its fourth uh, straight quarterly decline in revenues? Mm -hmm. 
if the guide comes through for the current quarter. Yep. Um, or Amazon, which does show growth, but a higher multiple. I think I would go with Amazon mm. uh, because when I look at the growth potential at Amazon, I think it is bigger uh, because if we look at uh, how um, most of IT is still on premises, there's still Amazon, despite the size, still has a very small share of global retail sales. So I think there's still an more of an opportunity for growth. When I look at Apple, there's still growth on the services side, for sure. There's still growth in emerging markets, areas like China, like we saw. But the installed base of devices is already enormous at $2 billion. I just don't think there's that much growth potential. So I see Apple as being more of a maturing company. Mm -hmm. That's OK. It's predictable. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's, it's garnering such a high multiple right now. But I don't think that's sustainable over the next several years. I, I, I agree with that. And let's not forget, Apple really serves at the, at the graciousness of the telco companies because they subsidize the purchase. So if they ever say, you know what, we've got so much debt in our balance sheets, right? AT&T, Verizon, not as much, but still. Why do we do this? Why are we subsidizing this? You know. And when we could pay down our balance sheets and pay down our debt and get a higher multiple. Mm -hmm. so, so that day may come at some point. If it does, then who's going to upgrade? The upgrade cycles have already been lengthened. You know, Apple's a fine company. You know, Tim Cook's good CEO, not the best, you know, but a good one. Um, but, you know, what's their new product? So what's going to recharge, really drive sales? It's not going to be those goggles, right? They're now for a year near 3,000. Who's going to buy them? And that's becoming a commodity product anyway. Right. So, so Apple's going to do fine. It's predictable, et cetera, et cetera, as Brenda said. But the growth, only 25% of data is in the cloud at this point. And you're going to increase the need for cloud exponentially with AI, with the additional computing power. So they're going to be a major beneficiary of that. So I agree with the Amazon. Apple does have some levers, Shannon. I'm wondering, you know, in this sort of economic environment, in this sort of rising rate environment, if maybe Apple is better, a company like an Apple is better positioned. Um, it still hasn't really leaned on the operational efficiency lever too much because it hasn't done any layoffs, whereas Amazon has. That is, in Tim Cook's words, the last resort. So they could pull the lever there. And also, they don't play up AI as Amazon does. Every other company that plays up AI, all of a sudden, multiple expansion, boom, it happens like magic. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering, what, you know, what, what do you see as a better sort of company to be in? A bedrock sort of company at a above market multiple or a way above market multiple growthy company? Well, I, I think that there are two things from this conversation of, of my other three panelists that I want to point out. On Apple, you know, you, you start to hear the narrative around Apple as a consumer staple with pricing power. And I think that that is, is really why you're getting the multiple and the compared with the growth rate that you see is because people do feel that it is morphing into more of a staple than discretionary, but they have incredible pricing power. They're already talking about what does the 15 Pro price look like? It's definitely going to be higher because there was so much demand for the 14 Pro that they couldn't even meet that demand. Um, and so I do think that there are levers that they can potentially pull. But I think that one of the things that you really need to think about is, is this as um, 
is this as inelastic from a demand perspective as people perceive it to be? On the flip side with Amazon, of course, everybody's thrilled. The reason that a lot of institutional investors had lower weights or no weights in Amazon for years is because they spent too much money. And every year they would announce more spending to fuel growth. You're not going to be able to continue to improve operating margin over and over again for the next number of quarters and get the growth rate that you've experienced in Amazon. So there's a minimum, there's going to be kind of a minimal amount of time here where they're going to be able to continue to pull these levers at Amazon. But if you talk about AI, you have to spend money on that, whether you're Apple or Amazon or anybody else. And so I do think we're in a bit of a Goldilocks period for Amazon because you're going to benefit from all the spending that they've already done. They're going to be able to improve margin for a few quarters. But the spending will begin in earnest again when they realize that they cannot continue to do that. On the flip side with Apple, they still haven't pulled those levers. But I do think that there is a premium being afforded to this company, that demand is inelastic. And I think that we really can't tell that yet until we see how these next two or three replacement cycles go. We are still even with Apple with this 3% decline, only 7% from all-time highs on this one. So put that in perspective here. One other thing that I don't think anybody's mentioned is the buybacks. Um, I did. Did you? Yeah. All right, well, let me put some numbers. You, you, didn't, you didn't make an you. impression, all right? So let me, let me put some numbers that will well, help you, you here. I, I, no, 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 hang on, yeah. hang on, hang on. Okay, Mr. Nimble, right. go ahead. <laughs> Uh, shares outstanding declined 3% year over year. Uh, the last six years, shares outstanding have declined by 25%. This isn't just buying back shares to sop up shares that are then issued to executives. They have tremendous free cash flow at Apple. So does Amazon, by the way. I'm not putting down Amazon. But they have tremendous free cash flow. And with every quarter, I get a more concentrated share of the earnings that are pretty prolific. All right. Coming up, the travel trade. Check out Booking Holdings, the stock hitting session highs on blowout results. Brenda owns it. What she is doing after this monster move. Halftime's back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Here's a booking holdings hitting a new 52-week high. The company's CEO telling CNBC earlier today he does not see any signs of travel demand slowing. Brenda, you own it. 9% gain here. What do you do? Yeah, I think it was a really impressive quarter. Obviously, you know, their mix is much different than an Expedia in that they have a lot more international exposure, which certainly helped. Mm-hmm. But for me, the more the impressive part, too, is that even their business in the U.S. was up high mid single digits. So really seeing, you know, incredibly strong trends. And as you just mentioned, you know, not seeing any signs of slowing. That was really the one thing that we were looking looking to hear commentary about is, is this coming to an end? Everyone's traveling this year. Is that going to continue or not? Um, so we're sticking with our position here. Certainly happy 
happy to see the price move today, but I think as we look forward, we may consider taking a little trim here. I think this is a market where you have to be disciplined and, and trim when you're given the, the golden opportunity to do so. We're not doing it yet with this name, but I think you know going forward, we're, we're going to be taking a look at doing some you of that. You mentioned international. Global mm -hmm. Nights books were up 20% year on year, and that was double what analysts were expecting. Um, Expedia was a disaster. So how do you sort of, Brendan mentioned the more exposure internationally really benefited booking here. Um, we saw good results out of Marriott, Hilton, Airbnb, a lot of the airlines, except airlines. for the ones that are more domestically oriented ones. Casinos. Mm -hmm. uh, you asked, you know, what, what about Expedia? I, I can't answer it. That's, yeah. that's more an outlier. I'm sorry. That's on them. I don't own mm -hmm. the stock, but, you know, everybody else, like literally everybody else in the sector is doing really well. I do think we have to respect where we are in the calendar, right? We're at the end of summer, last month of summer. This is a big travel month. Mm -hmm. And you usually expect after kids go back to school that it kind of drops off yep. a little bit. But that probably is not going to be for long. We've got a strong labor market. You're going to get into the holiday season. People are going to start traveling again. It's hard to see this economy falling that sharply off in such a short period of time. So you may, to the point you were making, Brenda, about trimming at some point in time, that may come sooner than you think, just as we get past the summer and people say, oh, things are weakening. It's not going to weaken for long, not with this economy and the holidays coming up. And you mentioned international, which still has a lot more to go. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, you would expect, like United Airlines, based on the bookings report, mm -hmm. to be moving up a lot more today. But it's basically flat. Delta's up a little more than United. So the market doesn't entirely believe it. Right, so it's reaction. I don't know if it was short covering There's the bookings been good or what runs is there. Just so you know, not great runs. I mean, if you take a look run. at United, it's actually since they reported and since Delta reported, you know, they started to trend down. So I'm not so sure it's sustainable. I also don't know what the visibility is for bookings and the others in terms of going out because you can cancel those things. So yeah, so people are going to book, and that that could be the canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. You're going to book out because capacity has been tight everywhere, airplanes, lodging, etc. But what's the cancellation going to be? That's what we don't know. Right. I think with Jim, it's not going to be huge, but it's sort of on the margin. Yeah, obviously key to this, too, is going to be the strength of the consumer and the business travel. You mentioned that, you know, traveling by families and individuals go down, but business travel should theoretically go up come fall back from the office, you know, back Melissa, to the one, office and one ready to go. point to this. We know there's a new demographic in terms of travel, the, ble uh -huh. the leisure, it's called, right? It's business leisure. and leisure. Oh. It's business and leisure crammed together, right? You go on a business. No, this is an actual <laughs> okay. term. All right. Uh, this in. is where people go on a business trip, but they extend a couple of days mm -hmm. to explore whatever. They're in L.A., they go up to Malibu, whatever. The airlines are actually catering to this by creating, and we all see this if you fly, right? This sort of middle class between economy and business, economy plus, whatever it is, that's where they're getting a little more than economy, but they're still appealing to the quasi-leisure traveler who's going out there, maybe not the fully on business. traveler. I didn't just make that up. It I mean, I could like have. you did. I could it doesn't have. really sound I mean, like a very catchy kind of Because you're not term. creative enough. But I would say in, ter <laughs> in terms of the business travel coming back in September, I don't know if that does. Work from home, which really affected business travel as well. Because if you work from home, you don't really want to go out and you know, get dressed up, put your put your peach shirt on, and go out and meet you know customers, clients, etc. In the city, you want to stay where you are. So it's had some impact there, and we've already been through that fire hose effect of travel coming back. So if you had to see customers because you haven't been there for a couple mm -hmm. of years during the pandemic, chances are you've already done it. So I think you'll see a much more even travel policy. I think the peach shirt is nice. 
Thank well, you, some people, Melissa. yeah, could, they could carry it off. Yes. Gosh, Let's so get to the headlines mean. with Pe- Pippa Stevens. Pippa. Hey, Melissa. An appeals court is allowing a rule restricting asylum at the southern border to stay in place. It's a win for the Biden administration. Confirms people can't be granted asylum unless they first seek protection in a country they're traveling through on their way to the U.S. There are exceptions, and it doesn't apply to children traveling alone. Brian Koberger is charged with stabbing to death four University of, of Idaho students. Now, in a motion filed with the court, he's offering an alibi for the night of the murders. His defense attorney wrote he had a habit of going for drives alone and was doing just that in the early morning hours of November 13th when the murders took place. And the first ever pill for postpartum depression could be approved by the FDA as soon as tomorrow. In a pair of clinical trials, women who experienced severe depression saw improvement in symptoms including anxiety, low energy, and trouble sleeping. The only current available option is an injection that requires a hospital stay. Melissa, back to you. Pippa, thanks. Pippa Stevens. Coming up, energy set to close out the week on top. The committee debates the best way to play the sector. That's next on the Halftime Report. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Energy is this week's leading sector as crude oil tries to notch its sixth straight week of gains. Uh, Brenda, you do have some exposure, Chevron and Chenier, and over in solar, you've got the uh, microinverter play end phase. But what do you see here for energy? Yeah, I mean, this is a group that really has gone sideways for a while. And our our criticism over the last year was really, you know, back in uh, 2020, uh, 2022, we had a period where there was a huge benefit from higher oil prices, but there wasn't a lot of um, additional production coming online. But here, as we look to 2024, I think there are some cases like a Chevron where there is production should increase. Um, and so that's a different nuance to the story. Uh, so I do think that there are some opportunities here. It's not a huge focus of ours, but I do think it's worth having some exposure to the group. And so we've chosen uh, to stick with Chevron and also looking at um, something like a like a chenier where there's still a great story for liquefied natural gas mm-hmm. and overall uh, growing demand and also growing production um, on, from, from chenier. So I think there are some opp- opportunities within the group. Shannon, do you like energy? I think energy is challenged, uh, you know, in this first half of the year, Melissa, by, again, these concerns about recession. I think over the course of the last, you know, month or so, what we've seen is the return 
or re-acknowledgement, if you will, of the fact that we do have a longer-term supply issue in the energy market. And this is creating a lot of the volatility that we're seeing in energy prices is that, you know, we flip-flop back back from, oh, it's a recession, so the demand will be lower, to, wait a minute, but if we don't have that decline in demand that, that's really being priced into the market, where is this going to come from, especially with, you know, at this point, Russia is actually seeming to adhere to some of the, uh, the promises that it made to its OPEC plus partners. We saw the Saudis continuing to, to limit supply from their end. And so I think structurally, if this, this idea that we're not going to have a recession really starts to take hold in the market, that could have a counter effect on inflation and that energy prices rise. And that could put the Fed in a really unique and, and perhaps difficult position as we go into the, the first half of next year. You're also engineer, but you've also got another major, Exxon. And also the highest beta exposure in oil that you can possibly get, uh, which is Transocean. Mm -hmm. So I'm overweight energy, and I think that was a great analysis both by Brenda uh, and by Shannon. What Shannon was talking about is really where the commodity prices are going, and they're, they're going back and forth based on these recession fears. To the point, Brenda, that you made, you're right, like something like ExxonMobil has gone absolutely nowhere this year. But if you look at the three-year return, its average three-year return is 45%. This is a classic case of there's been a tremendous bull run. The energy stocks, independent of what the commodities are doing, needed to consolidate. It's a heck of a consolidation. But if you just look at where oil is, and natural gas is still low, but probably going to go higher as we get into the winter months, there's a lot of reasons, fundamental reasons, to think that the next leg in energy stocks is higher. We've got to refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I mean, the administration totally missed it when oil was below $70 a barrel. They They're not have the been best traders. <laughs> yeah, no. you've said it. Um, you know, you've, you've got Saudi Arabia talking about more cuts. Um, have, heaven help the energy markets if China actually does stimulate more. So there's a lot of reasons to expect the commodity prices are going to at least stay at this level. And again, the energy stocks themselves have just been in a consolidation phase. I think the next move is sharply higher. All right, straight ahead, playing catch up. One area of the market nearly doubling the performance of the S&P 500 in just the last month. We'll debate if you should be looking to buy into this space. Have time, be right back. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. The emerging market ETF far outpacing the S&P 500 over the past month. Our Seema Modi joined us now to break down this move. Seema. And Melissa, the rebound in Chinese tech stocks, that's what's really fueling emerging markets. The iShares K-Web ETF, which houses China's big tech stocks, up about 12% in the past month on pace for its best month since January. The key catalyst, rising expectations that Beijing will unload key stimulus measures that will prop up the country's slowing economy. Wall Street, though, remains more cautious. Evercore ISI strategists telling CNBC they're waiting for a pullback before getting in, and they expect that opportunity to present itself in October, right around the time concrete announcements on stimulus are expected to be revealed. Those comments coinciding with new data, which shows fund managers remain extremely selective on where they're putting money to work across the world, underweight China and becoming less bearish on Brazil, which, by the way, just kicked off its easing cycle this week with a dovish 50 basis point rate cut and more expected in the coming months. Melissa? Seema, thanks. Seema Modi. Uh, Steve, you have been getting more bullish on two China stocks in particular. Yes, Baba and Baidu, mm -hmm. particularly Baba, uh, yep. which is about nine times earnings. Look, I, I've been on, on record, as I've been reminded by uh, indirectly by many, many trolls, because uh, I'm not on Twitter anymore, uh, that I've said I'd never buy Chinese stock, et cetera, et cetera. 
and actually made quite a bit of money shorting BABA from 250 to roughly 150. But you know what? Never has a price when you're an investor, and it pays not to be married to all your biases, different than disciplines, which you have to be married to. And China is saying, basically, with 25% youth unemployment, it's really 21%, we know it's a lot more than that because they don't accurately report numbers, uh, they have a problem. And the problem is that they've seen capital outflows, it's not the same amount of inflows, that their economy is stagnant, disinflationary, so they've got to do what we would do, no different. They've got to stimulate and really, really stimulate. And they said that with settling the Ant IPO issue, right. Right, with bringing back Joe Tsai to run BABA. So all it's in place, they need massive liquidity to reverse their economy, and that's what you're going to see. BABA, the reason why it's a bigger position than Baidu, which is relatively small, is because they have lots of levers. They're going to they're gonna parcel out. They're going to spin out their retail, their hard retail, right? Their concrete retail. They'll spin out cloud, okay? Cloud here still has lots of room to grow, as Brenda mentioned. Think about there. So that's why I like it. Can I ask you a question? If, if China's stimulus doesn't come, because we've been expecting some sort of massive stimulus plan, and, and they've been little bits, bits and pieces here and there, slowly, right. slowly, slowly, not this one big giant pack which is what we've seen in the past. Right, right. But if it continues to be sort of be drips and drabs, is the BABA story good enough? Because they made up with the Chinese government. There is yes. a path to unlocking the value for the different parts with, with various spinoffs to make that a buy. It, it is mm -hmm. because of the value of the assets. So if right. you do some of the parts, you've got a very, very cheap stock. So that's why I said it's a bigger position. It shouldn't be at nine times earnings now. I'm not, I'm not, you know, ignorant of the risk with Taiwan. You know, he said by the end of the decade we'll do it. But they see what happened. The best thing, the only good thing about Russia, Ukraine, right, is that it's a warning sign to China. If you do this, then forget it. Then it's really, really hands off. Right now we own the power and technology. So it's up to them to make you know, concessions to us, not us to make concessions to them. Some companies are more exposed, like Tesla, mm -hmm. like Apple, but they're also moving the supply chain offshore, right, into India. So, so look, so I think it's actually a very low risk play right now, Baba, because look at where it is off the lows and look at potential upsides. Risk reward is just tremendous. All right, we are at session highs here across the board. Stay with halftime. Grade My Trade is coming up next. Time for Grade My Trade. First to Jim. Brian bought 500 shares of MP Materials at 2480. Jim, what's your grade? Um, Brian, this is awesome. He gets an A uh, because this is this is forward thinking. This is long term thinking. MP Materials mines rare earth elements out in California. To date, they have had to send these rare earth oxides to China for refining that then get brought back here in the form of electric motors, iPhones, all that sort of stuff. Well, with the announcement of their earnings yesterday, it turns out that MP Corp is now finally refining these rare earth oxides themselves. That's a huge step, not just for the company, but for the country, for our own self-sufficiency and this critical resource. Uh, the stock has a lot of cash on its balance sheet. It's very attractively priced for where it's going from here. A plus here. Oh, you just bumped it by half a grade just now. You went from A to A plus. I got excited. Like, I got excited. In I mean, the course of 15 seconds. Uh, Brian, what? good job, man. You're like a pushover, Jim. What, what stock right. was he talking about again? MP Materials. Yeah, Molly the former go, Molly go Corp. Do you remember, it. Do you remember I dare that? you. No, I wouldn't Anyway. Uh, this one's for Weiss. Harold in Wisconsin bought Jacob's Solutions at 126.96. What is the grade, Steve Weiss? Well, congratulations on getting even. So it's a, it's a B. 
but the fact you own it gives it an A. Um, look, they're in the sweet spot of the onshoring, a big theme with, with my friend Jim. Uh, everything coming back here, infrastructure being built out. Jacobs has to participate in a lot of those. They've changed their model of the last decade, so now they're essentially cost plus contracts. What got them in trouble and the other companies are fixed price contracts, right? Because there's risk to that. So I like it quite a bit here. I think it can go a lot higher. It's not cheap, but these stocks are never cheap in this sector. So, so it's an A for your ability to think into the future. You also right. own it, so your judgment on the trade it. might be a little clouded. Because if you not, not a little clouded, then you're, then you're giving yourself. No, a I am extremely biased on this. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Very. Um, As a matter of fact, yeah. A plus now. <laughs> <laughs> Again. That's how you do it. That's crazy. All right. Uh, let's go to Shannon. See if she increases the grade in 15 seconds. Jonathan in New York asks if it's time to enter into real estate with a long-term trajectory in mind. Shannon. Yes, I would say that the answer to that is, listen, CRE is clearly clouding the landscape for a public REITs. And if you think about um, 5% of the public REIT market is, is, is dedicated to office um, and delinquencies within real estate have, have really been ring fenced to the office space. And so if you think about a catalyst to potentially um, move into REITs, you're near the end of a rate tightening cycle. That's really going to help in terms of understanding the cost of capital that developers are going to have to deal with going forward. And so um, I would say that, you know, we would we would agree that this is a, a, a sector that we um, we prefer at this time. All right. Um, and for Brenda, Michael bought Albemarle at 287 back in February. It has fallen like a rock since. He's 76 years old, doesn't under, consider himself a long-term investor. So what would you tell him? I would tell him that this can be a very um, frustrating stock to own because it is really volatile. Um, and that's partially, mostly because it's tied to the cost of lithium. So it does, and lithium prices have come down this year. But I think there is still a very compelling long-term case for lithium prices where we should even see the market start to tighten with supply as early as later the next, this, this coming year. So I think by 2030, we're looking for a tripling in demand uh, for lithium just based on this energy transition that we're seeing. And that's only going only to continue. So I think it's worth sticking with, uh, even though it's very volatile, but I would hang in there at this price. Is there a grade? I would give a C. <laughs> I would give a C a little early, uh, but I think you don't want to make that a D or an F by unloading it when it's down and out, because I, I do think that there is a, a longer term story here that's likely to play out over the next several months. Mel, if you pick the most <laughs> difficult grader on this panel today, who would you have picked? Not Brenda, right? No. Yeah. I would have picked you. Right, right. But, and you still gave the guy an A+. Plus. I did, I did. Yeah. Up from an A. Right, exactly, in the span of 15 seconds. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if there were a higher grade, since he agreed with me, I would have given it a to plus him. Plus? Right, we had a different yeah. scale. Yeah. All right, final trades coming up. Back here on the Halftime Report, but remember to join me tonight, 5 Eastern time for Fast Money, followed by Options Action. Then at 6, tune in for a CNBC special, Taking Stock with Mike Santoli and the one and only Joshua Brown of Halftime Fame. All right, we've got a jam-packed week ahead with more earnings plus CPI and PPI. So Shannon, what are you looking uh, at and what's the setup here? 
Well, for next week, I think we have to think about the consumer. The consumer is strong, but not everybody's benefiting from that. So we've got Paramount and Disney next week. What's going to pull Disney out of the doghouse? Not, certainly not less domestic travel and a writer's strike and, you know, some changes in our behavior. So I think that we're, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on Disney next week, but I think we look at a Paramount as well and try to determine if these stocks have opportunities given the shift in consumer behavior we've seen over the last 18 months. We've weathered through a lot, though, uh, this week with big cap tech earnings and then also a four-year, 4% plus yield on the 10-year. So uh, we've gotten through a lot. Um, time for the final trades. Steve Weiss, kick it off. I'm going to go with Baba. Yeah. You know, for all the reasons I said and really just to aggravate the trolls a little more. I, I think it's compelling here, though, seriously. Brenda Vangelo. I'm going to go with Stryker. This reported a great quarter, really yeah. solid organic growth. And that's going to continue as we see more and more elective procedures kind of work through the backlog there. Leventhal. Wynn Resorts reporting next week. A lot of reasons to expect good things. All right. That does it for us here on the Halftime Report. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 